KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. When the coronavirus pandemic hit the U.S., Philadelphia, and a lot of other places around the country were already neck deep in another public health crisis, the opioid epidemic. But fast forward a few months, and it seems like COVID-19 kind of pushed the public spotlight away from the addiction emergency. So right here in Philly, how did the city keep up with one health crisis while another took hold? Dr. Kendra Viner is Director of Substance Abuse Prevention and Harm Reduction for the City of Philadelphia. As many jobs have changed with the coronavirus pandemic, can you explain a little bit about how your job has changed probably since about March? For a couple months, several members of my team were kind of diverted to working on COVID-related activities, specifically relating to housing of individuals who were unsheltered but may have been exposed to COVID or had tested positive for COVID. More recently, so probably since the beginning of June, we've all been able to pick up our regular activities again, which has been great because there's a lot of work to be done relating to individuals who have substance use you know, issues. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And even before the coronavirus took hold in America, we were in the midst of an opioid epidemic. And it's definitely, I mean, not taken a full backseat to COVID, but in many ways it has this year. So what's been happening on the opioid epidemic front? You know, where are we right now in Philadelphia? Has it gotten worse, do you think, or has it gotten better in the past few months considering everything? So we've been monitoring the data pretty closely With respect to fatal overdoses, with the exception of a couple spikes right after the stay-at-home order went into effect, they've remained relatively stable, especially compared to sort of the January to July time period last year. The January to July time period in 2020 is about the same. So that's good news. With respect to non-fatal overdoses, so individuals who were successfully uh, administered naloxone and recovered, there has definitely been an increase. And so it's clear that more people are overdosing, but the data is indicating that the majority of those people are being successfully administered naloxone, either by EMS, first responders, or by the community itself, which which is good. Do you guys put a lot of resources in getting that information out to communities? Do you think that has any... Well, the one thing that we we tried really hard to do really from the the time that the stay-at-home order went into effect was to kind of flood the community with naloxone. So to make sure that all of our partners had probably twice as much stock of naloxone as normal so that when individuals, either when they were distributing naloxone actively or when individuals were coming in to seek naloxone, they were giving them more than they would normally give them to sort of keep them from having to, you know, continually come in for additional doses and potentially expose themselves to coronavirus, um, et cetera. So I assume that that's playing a role in, you know, helping to, to stem a wave of, of fatalities. The one, the one observation that we have noticed, which is really troubling to us, is that although we haven't seen an increase in fatal overdoses, 
we have seen a shift in the demographics of who is overdosing, both non-fatally and fatally, from majority non-Hispanic white to majority non-Hispanic black. And we're not entirely sure why this is. It seems like opioids are really kind of the primary driver, but why there's been this demographic shift is still a question for us. It, it may be because that many of these uh, non-Hispanic Black populations are more disenfranchised, have less access to services, and may be less likely to be sheltered, and so are at higher risk of overdosing. But again, we, we need to gather more information to really better understand why that's happening. Mm. So I guess, what were your plans then, considering that information? Maybe what were your plans for this year, for 2020, before the pandemic hit? Are you guys still trying to reach certain goals within the city or have your priorities kind of shifted? Well, so prior to the pandemic, you know, that there was a lot of funding that was coming into the city from the city and also through grants to really boost the city's response to the opioid crisis, really beyond the level of the the health department, more at the managing director's level, and the creation of an opioid response unit that would be responsible for doing a lot of what was done as part of the Kensington Resilience Project, but more on a citywide scale. And a lot of that funding has been diverted into coronavirus-related activities, and, you know, the city's in a tight spot from a budget standpoint now. And so a lot of, I think, what was being planned in terms of getting people linked to care and more of the prevention activities relating to education and naloxone distribution have been put on hold for the time being, which is not great because obviously, you know, we're in the midst of this pandemic, but we have this co-occurring epidemic relating to drug overdose that is certainly not going away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's just, I think it's so much more than that too, right? Everybody's going through tough times right now. And we keep seeing articles about how alcohol sales are up and, you know, people are drinking more or more people are drinking. And does this situation of isolation and uncertainty kind of make you nervous for the future or you know, how are people struggling with different addictions right now? It makes us very nervous, uh, especially since, you know, 75% of the individuals who are fatally overdosing are doing so in their own homes. You know, now people more and more people are spending time inside. And so, you know, we haven't seen this rise in fatal overdoses yet. But, you know, as more people lose their jobs, as the stay-at-home order, the length of time that that's in effect gets longer. I think the risk of of people overdosing or even initiating drugs for the first time, I think, is going to increase as people sort of lose hope and start to have other problems in their life that are relating to loss of job or, or loss of home or other issues relating to coronavirus. So you think it's definitely possible that Philadelphia could see effects of this in some way? The opioid epidemic may be taking a backseat during this period of time. I absolutely think so. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, we're, right now we're really looking at the early stages, the early impacts of, of this crisis, of the pandemic on the opioid crisis. I think we won't really know the full extent for, you know, maybe a year or two after, uh, after this is all said and done. 
Right. That's with everything, even health complications related to COVID and very right. uncertain time right now. It is. Um, so, you know, Philadelphia has been flirting with the idea of the safe injection sites. Uh, what do you think about the site proposal from Safe House and about safe injection sites maybe in general? I think, you know, I've always thought that uh, safe injection sites are one solution to the issue, to the issue of the opioid and substance abuse crises. I think that now more than ever, we really need a safe injection facility or ideally several safe injection facilities, especially now that more people are using in their own homes and that, you know, there being less resources out on the street, you know, this is this would be a way to allow people to use safely with, you know, under the eye of, of individuals who could watch in case something bad happened. And on top of that, drug supplies are really shifting in a negative way now, both before the crisis and even more now since the coronavirus uh, outbreak happened. Drug supplies are sort of less predictable, um, and you know there's more option for a mixture of contaminants and other factors that you know people really don't know or have a clear sense of what they're getting out on the street. And so, having a place to use with medical professionals around, I think, would be wonderful. Again, understanding that this is one response to the crisis. Right. I like how you bring up the drug substance, though, because. I just got some of the numbers sent to me. I, I think they're public information, but how the drug use has changed in the city throughout the years. And it's amazing to see fentanyl, well, not amazing, but in a sad way to see fentanyl really grow on that map and to see how much it really is and the dangers of it and knowing that it, it's become such an issue in Philly and yeah. I mean the country. Really? Right. Yeah. And fentanyl's not just being mixed with with uh, other opioids like heroin anymore. I mean, it's really being mixed with all substances. And that's happening both in ways that that people are aware of, but also in in ways that, you know, uh, people who use drugs like stimulants or synthetic cannabinoids or even marijuana may not be aware of. Um, And those are really the populations, you know, that are totally naive to opioids that we're most concerned about because they're the ones that are most vulnerable to negative outcomes. So how is the city preparing for the end of COVID or, you know, just the future right now and realizing that, you know, there may be a massive problem on the horizon relating to the drug crises in Philly? How is your team preparing? What are kind of the next steps for you guys? There are a couple things that we're doing. One is that we're really trying to raise awareness about our online distribution of naloxone. So it's called Next Naloxone. Um, and information can be found out about it from our uh, city website, philly.gov backslash opioids. And this allows people to obtain naloxone for free through the internet without having to, you know, go to a pharmacy or go to a community-based organization or, you know, some other, obtain through some other means. So we really want everyone, you know, people who are using at home or out on the street, everyone to have naloxone on hand. So that's one thing that we're working on. We also are in the 
stages now, early stages of creating a work group um, to address the rise of drug use, both opioid use and stimulant use in minority populations, specifically non-Hispanic, black and Hispanic populations. Even before coronavirus, we've seen an uptick in overdoses uh, within these populations. And really the strategy to address overdoses and really the opioid and stimulant crises in general has been more general, more kind of citywide. And I think what we need to do now is really develop strategies that are more targeted to specific populations that are primarily affected. And those strategies may be different for different populations. And so we need to work with different groups in the community to figure out how best to create outreach to specific vulnerable populations and target our uh, education and prevention efforts appropriately. The other thing, you know, we also, we, we run a lot of naloxone and overdose prevention trainings and have moved a lot of those virtually, and those have been very well attended. I think we'll probably continue that into the, you know, for, for the foreseeable future and maybe even be after the city reopens because it allows more people who may, ha- you know, have issues with transportation or, you know, may live at different regions of the city and, and just not be compelled to travel across the city to come to in-person trainings to access them. They've been very extremely well attended, probably more more well attended than the in-person trainings. So that's that's been eye-opening for us and, uh, wow. you know, something that we'd, we'd definitely like to continue. I mean, I think I think the the main point to highlight probably for your audience is just to be very cautious about specifically people who are using drugs, who are the family or friends of people who are using drugs, to be aware that the drugs on the street now are completely unpredictable and that, you know, to use with caution and to use in the presence of a friend or family member or another person and to test the drugs for fentanyl, using fentanyl test strips if, if possible. That's something new to me. I didn't know that that was a thing. That we can provide them. So the health department can provide them. Yeah. And then a number of uh, community-based organizations like Prevention Point and um, Soul Collective and other organizations also can uh, provide them to individuals who are using. Wow. I think that's very important because, as you said, I mean, you know, this is happening in people's houses and I think people, you know, are nervous to ask for help. And it's it seems like it's it's readily available and it is there and in so many different ways that, you know, people can be safe. Yep, exactly. Um, And again, specifically, you know, since fentanyl is mixed with all these drugs that classically, you know, it there hasn't been this cross-contamination. It's really probably smart for anyone using any drug type to just get in the habit of of testing for the potential presence of fentanyl. That's good to know. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kendra, for joining me today and telling me what's been going on with your work in the city. Absolutely. Happy to talk. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.